Hello friends, it's Vivek Kumar signing in again today with day 42 and chapter 2 of 0 to 1 by Peter Thiel and Blackmark Masters. Today we'll be talking about Party Like It's 1999. Our contrarian question, what important truth do very people, very few people agree with you on? It is very difficult to answer directly. It may be easier to start with a preliminary, preliminary, what does everybody agree on? Madness is rare in individuals, but in groups, parties, nations and ages, it is the rule. Natschen wrote before he went mad, if you can identify a delusional popular belief, you can find what lies hidden behind it the contrarian truth consider an elementary proposition companies exist to make money not to lose it this would be obvious to any thinking person but it wasn't so obvious to many in the late too many in the late 1990s when no loss was too big to be described as an investment in an ever bigger brighter future the conventional wisdom of the new economy accepted page views as a more authoritative forward-looking financial metric than something as pedestrian as profit conventional beliefs only ever come to appear arbitrary and wrong in retrospect whenever one collapses we call the old belief a bubble but the distortion caused by bubbles doesn't disappear when they pop. The internet craze of the 90s was the biggest bubble since the crash of 1929. And the lesson learned afterward defined the distort almost all thinking about technology today. The first step to thinking clearly is to question what we think we know about the past. A quick history of the 90s. The 1990s have a good image. We tend to remember them as a prosperous optimistic decade that happened to end with the internet boom and bust but many of these years were not as cheerful as our nostalgic holds we are long since forgotten the global context for the 18 months of dot-com mania a decade saint the 90s started with a burst of euphoria with the berlin wall came down to november 89 it was short-lived by mid-1990, the United States was, was in recession. Technically, the downtown, downturn ended in March 91, but recovery was slow and unemployed, un unemployment continued to rise until 92. Manufacturing never fully rebounded. The, 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 shift is, the shift to a service economy was protected and painful. The shift to a service economy was protracted and painful in 1992 through the the end of 1994 through the end of 1994 was a time of general malzia images of dead american soldiers in mogudisu looked on cabin news anxiety about globalization and u.s competitiveness intensified as job followed to mexico the pessimist pessimistic undercurrent drove the president bush 41 out of office and owned ross 
proto nearly 25% 20% of the popular vote in 92 the best showing for a third party candidate since theodore roosevelt in 1912 and whatever the cultural fascination with nirvan grog and heroin reflected it wasn't hope or confidence silicon valley felt sluggish too japan seemed to be willing the winning the semiconductor war the internet had it to take off partly because its commercial use was restricted until late 1992 and partly due to the lack of user friendly web browsers it's telling that when i arrived at stanford in 1985 economics not computer science was the most po- economics not the computer science was the most popular major to most people on campus the tech sector seemed idostrinetric or ever provisional provisional the internet changed all this the mosaic browser was officially released in november 1993 giving regular people a way to get online mosaic became netscape netscape which released its navigator browser in late 1994 navigator's adoption grew so quickly from about 20% of the browser market in january 1995 to almost 80% less than 12 months later the nets netscape was able to ipo in august 95 even though it wasn't it profitable within 5 months netscape stock had shot up from $28 to $174 per share other tech companies were booming uh, too like yahoo went public in april 96 with an 848 million dollars valuation amazon followed suit in may 97 at 438 million dollar by spring of 98 each company's stock had more than quadrupled skeptics questions earning and revenue multipliers higher than those for uh, any non internet company it was easy to conclude that the market had gone crazy this conclusion was understandable but misplaced in this summer 96 more than 3 years before the bubble actually burst fed chairman alan greenspan warned that irrational exuberance might have unduly escalated asset values tech investors were exuberant but it's not clear that they were so irrational it is too easy to forget that things weren't going very well in the rest of the world at the time the east asian financial crisis hit in july 1997 chronic capitalism and massive foreign debt brought the thai indonesian south korean economy to their knees the ruble crisis followed in august august 98 when russia hamstrung by chronic fiscal deficit de- devalued its currency and defaulted defaulted on its debt american investors grew numerous about a nation with 10000 nukes and no money the dow jones industrial average plunged more than 10% in a matter of days people were right to worry the ruble crisis sell, uh, set off a chain reaction that brought that brought down long term capital management a higher leveraged us hedge fund ltcm managed to lose 4.6 dollar billion billion dollars in the latter half of 1998 and still had over 100 billion dollar in liabilities when the fed in, inverted 
intervened with a massive bailout and slashed interest rates in order to prevent systemic disaster. Europe wasn't doing that much better. The euro launched in January 1999 was great skepticism and apathy. It rose to $1.19 on its first day of trading but sank to $0.83 within two years. In mid-2000, G7 central bankers had to prop prop it up with a multi-billionaire dollar interventions. So, the backdrop for the short-lived dot-com mania that started in September 1998 was a world in which nothing else seemed to be working. The old economy couldn't handle the challenge of globalization. Something needed to work and work in a big way if the future was going to be better at all. By indirect proof, the economy of the internet was the only way forward. Mania September 1998 to March 2000 Dotcom mania was intense but short. 18 months of instantly from September 1998 to March 2000. It was a Silicon Valley gold rush. There was money everywhere and no shortage of exuberant. Often sketchy people took chase it. Every week, dozens of new startups completed to throw the most lavish launch party. Landing parties were much more rare. Paper millennials would rack up $1,000 dinner bills and try to pay it with shares of their startup stock. Sometimes it would, it even worked. Legions of people, legions of people, decamped from their well-paying jobs to found to uh, jobs to found or job startups. One forty, uh, one forty. Sometimes great students that I know was running six different companies in 1999. Usually, it's considered wide to be uh, to be a forty-year-old graduate student. Usually, it's considered insane to start a half dozen companies at once but in the late 90s people could believe that that was a winning combination everybody should have known that the mania was unsustainable the most successful companies seemed to embrace a short anti-business model where they lost money as they grew but it's hard to blame people for dancing when the music was playing irrationality was rational given that appending .com to your name could double your value overnight. .com boom When I was uh, running PayPal in late 1999, I was scared of my wits. Not because I didn't believe in our company, but because it seemed like everyone else is in the valley was ready to believe anything at all. Everywhere I looked, People were starting and flipping companies with alarming casualness. One acquaintance told me acquaintance told me how he had planned an IPO from his living room before he had even incorporated his company, and he didn't think that was wired. In this kind of environment, acting sanely began to see, seem eccentric. At last, PayPal had a suitable grand mission to kind that post-bubble skepticism would later describe as grandiose. 
we wanted to create a new internet currency to replace the US dollar. Our first product let people beam money from one plan pilot to another. However, nobody had any use for that product except the journalist who voted it one of the 10 worst business ideas of 1999. Plan pilots were still too exotic then, but email was already commonplace so we decided to create a way to send and receive payments over email by the fall of 99 our email payment product worked well anyone could log in to our website and easily transfer money but we didn't have enough customers growth was slow and expense mounted for PayPal to work we needed to attract critical mass of at least million users Advertising was too ineffective to justify the cost. Productive deals with big banks kept falling through. So we decided to pay people to sign up. We gave new customers $10 for joining and we gave them $10 more every time they referred a friend. This got us hundreds of thousands of new customers and an exceptional growth rate. Of course, this customer acquisition strategy was unsustainable on its own when you pay people to be your customer exponential growth means an exponential growing cost structure crazy costs were typical at that time in the valley but we thought our huge cost was sane our huge cost was sane given a large user base paypal had a clear path to profitability by taking a small fee on customers transactions we knew we had never more funding to reach that goal. We also knew that the boom was going to end since we didn't expect investors faith in our mission to survive the coming crash. We moved fast to raise funds while we could. On February 16, 2000, the Wall Street Journal ran a story launching our viral growth and suggesting that PayPal worth $500 billion when we raised $100 million the next month. Our lead investor took the journal's back of the envelope valuation as authoritative. Other investors were in even more of a hurry. A South Korean firm wired a $5 million without first negotiation, negotiating a deal or signing any document. When I tried to return the money, they wouldn't tell me where to send it. The March 2000 financial round brought us the time we needed to make PayPal a success. Just as we closed the deal, the bubble popped. So, lessons learned. Cause they say 2000 party over. Oops, out of time. So tonight, I'm going party like it's 1999 by Prince. The NASDAQ NASDAQ reached 5048 at its peak in the middle of March 2000 and then crashed to 3321 in the middle of April. By the time it bottomed out at 1114 in October 2002, the country had long since interpreted the market's collapse and a kind of divine judgment against the technological optimism of the 90s. The era of Cornucopian uh, hope 
was relabeled as an era of crazed greed and declared to be definitely over everyone learned to treat the future as fundamentally indefinite and to dismiss uh, uh, as an extremist anyone with plans big enough to be measured in years instead of quarters globalization replaced technology as the hope for the future since the 90s migration from bricks to clicks didn't work as hoped investors went back to bricks that is housings and vrics globalizations the result was another bubble this time in real estate the entrepreneurs who stuck with silicon valley learned four big lessons from the dot com crash that still guide business thinking that still guides the business thinking today the first one is make incremental advances grand visions inflated the bubble so they should not be indulged anyone who claims to be able to do something great in suspect and anyone who wants to change the world should be more humble small incremental steps are the only safe path forward stay learned and flexible lean and flexible all companies must be lean which is code for unplanned you should not know what your business will do planning is arrogant and inflexible instead you should try things out iterate and treat entrepreneurship as agonistic experimentation third improve on competition don't try to create a, a new market prematurely the only way to know you have a real business is to start with an already existing customer so you should build your company by improving on recognizable products already offered by successful competitors fourth one is focus on products not sales if a product requires advertising or sales people to sell it it's not good enough technology is primarily about product development not distribution bubble era advertising was obviously wasteful so the only sustainable growth is the viral growth these lessons have become dogma in the startup world those who ignore them are presumed to invite the justified doom visited upon technology in the great crash of 2000 and it the opposite principles are probably more correct first one it is better to risk boldness than triviality triviality a bad plan is better than no plan competitive market destroys profits sales matters just as matter as product it's true that these were uh, there was a bubble in technology the late 90s was a time of hubris people believed in going from zero to one too few startups were actually getting there and many never were went beyond taking about talking about it but people understood that we had no choice but to find ways to do more with less the market high of march 2000 was obviously was obviously a peak insanity less obvious but more important it was also a peak of clarity people looked far into the future so how much valuable new technology was new technology we would need to get there safely and just themselves capable of creating it we still need new technology and we may even need some 1999 style hubris and exuberance to get it 
to build the next generation of companies we must abandon the dogmas created after the crash that doesn't mean the opposite idea are automatically true you can't escape the madness of crowd by dogmatically rejecting them instead ask yourself how much of what you know about business is shaped by mistaken reactions to past mistakes the most contrary thing of all is not to oppose the crowd but to think for yourself so thank you very much friends it's vivek kumar signing off for today until we meet again on thursday with chapter 3 of zero to one by peter thai and blake masters where we'll talk about all happy companies are different thank you very much